This is episode number 52 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program, which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective, because unfortunately no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. Unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at individual, the number one pod. That's individual one pod. I hope you had a chance to listen to episode number 51 of the podcast. That was our extensive interview with GOP presidential candidate Joe Walsh, uh, who is a friend of mine, although he and I have had some difficulties surrounding his announcement because he and I spoke extensively just before his announcement. Then he went dark just before the announcement and just after we reconnected, he apologized. We did, a, frankly, an extraordinary interview in episode number 51. It was brutally honest in both directions. I think it really gave you a sense of who Joe uh, actually is as opposed to the media caricature and maybe answered some of the concerns that a lot of people have. But it was a really good interview, regardless of what you think of Joe Walsh or his very, 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 very long shot effort to defeat Donald Trump for the Republican nomination. Interestingly, Joe and I had tentatively scheduled to meet while he's here in Los Angeles this week for the Bill Maher show on HBO. But much like Joe's MO, that hasn't actually happened yet. Uh, and uh, I'm no longer confident that it will. If it doesn't, we might be looking at strike three for Joe Walsh when it comes to John Sigler. I, I have a very strict rule. You know, when I was young and naive, I gave everyone three strikes. Now everyone gets one strike because I presume everyone's a jackass. Uh, if I like you, I'll give you two strikes. If I really, really like you and there are extraordinary circumstances, I might still provide three strikes. Joe now has two strikes, and the third pitch is coming down the pike. So we'll see. Maybe in episode number 53, I'll have an update. Either Joe and I will have met, or uh, there will be strike three against uh, Joe Walsh. Lots of news to get to, some of which we did not get to in episode number 51. It just is an incredible illustration of how short the news cycle is in the era of Donald Trump. Correct. Because some of these stories I'm going to talk about, in a normal world, would be discussed for weeks. They're not that old. They're, they're Frankly, uh, they're about a, six days old. The, the first one is, I think, six or five days old, and it's going to feel like ancient history. I'm referring to the fact that Donald Trump's personal assistant, Madeline Westerhout, resigned suddenly last week. And the reason why she resigned was that she apparently gave an off-the-record uh, meeting or dinner with a bunch of reporters in Washington, D.C. And apparently she had had a few too many drinks, and uh, apparently her colleague on the, on the Trump team had left the meeting, so maybe she felt a little bit more free to tell the truth. And she started bragging to these reporters, again, off-the-record, that she had a better relationship with Trump than his own daughter's, and that she specifically said that Trump's daughter, Tiffany, who is famously the least favorite of his daughters, that Tiffany uh, is someone he couldn't pick out of a lineup and that he doesn't even like to be 
photographed with her because she's overweight. And when this got back to Trump, he uh, apparently immediately demanded her resignation. Correct. And she resigned. She admitted what had happened. Now, this was a very uh, short-lived story, partially because we are so desensitized to the insanity of the Trump administration. But what I found fascinating, and this goes to just how lacking in intellectual curiosity or imagination the news media is, the way I looked at the story was this. Trump, by forcing Westerhout's resignation, was de facto admitting that what she said to those reporters was true. Correct. And here's why. Think about this from Trump's perspective. You are a person who believes that the media is nothing but fake news, right? Fake news. You do not believe in anonymous sources. You believe that anything negative about you or anyone in your administration is bullshit because the media is out to get you, right? You have no belief in any of this stuff. Your gut reaction to this story, if what you were hearing is not true, would be that's outrageous. This is off the record. The, the corrupt media, the enemy of the people, are trying to destroy me again, and you would back up Westerhout. Unless, unless what you were hearing she said is actually true. Correct. Because then your reaction would be, oh, wow, how dare, how dare Westerhout tell the truth about my perception of my daughter to the media, regardless of whether it's off the record or not. Yet nobody I saw, or hardly anybody, nobody uh, in the media, made this obvious connection that based upon who we know Trump to be, his firing of Westerhout was a, essentially a guilty plea to what she told the media being true. Because if it was untrue, he would not have believed the story. He would have backed Westerhout and he would have blamed the media for breaking their off-the-record deal and for creating more fake news. Correct. And yet we just move on. We move on to the next controversy, also involving a member of the Trump administration getting sacrificed. This time it's Trump Labor Department appointee Leif Olson, a guy I've never heard of before, but who had been recently hired as a lawyer for the Labor Department. Bloomberg News has a labor reporter, should be actually known as a labor, a labor ad- advocate or activist, named Ben Penn. That's his real name, apparently. Ben Penn. And he accused Olson of anti-Semitism. Now, what was the basis of the accusation of anti-Semitism? Some Facebook posts that Olson had made way back in, I believe it was 2016, during the primary that uh, Paul Ryan won against an alt-right figure. And the Facebook post is clearly, obviously, without any shred of a doubt, sarcastic. He is sarcastically talking. It could not be more, more sarcastic. He is sarcastically attacking the anti-Semites within the Republican Party in a way that's supposed to be funny. It could not be more obvious than this. But Penn, for reasons that are still not completely known, 
got the Anti-Defamation League to sign off on this being a violation of whatever the code of anti-Semitism is. And once the Anti-Defamation League signed off on this being an outrage, the Department of Labor immediately fired Olson or forced his resignation. Now, this is outrageous on so many levels. First of all, Olson did nothing wrong. The media clearly with an agenda to take out a conservative person. I mean, there are a bunch of liberals. Penn basically acknowledges this in the article attacking the hit piece, attacking Olson. But here they are making stuff up in a way that is way worse than just one guy we've never heard of being fired. Because this sends a message throughout all of our government, all of our media. You can't joke about anything. You cannot joke about anything because it could be taken out of context years later, even by a respectable media outlet. And then even after it's found out that it was taken totally out of context, even Donald Trump, the man who gets so much credit for fighting the good fight, fighting against political correctness, fighting for what he believes to be right, going against the liberal media, even Donald Trump will say nothing. Why? Well, who knows? It might not even have gotten onto his radar screen because it wasn't on Fox and Friends yet. I don't know if it has been or not, but that appears to be how he decides which causes to jump on and which ones not to. But because he did not perceive it to be in his self-interest. That's correct. That's really what's going on here. It's not in his self-interest. He has nothing to gain here. He doesn't apparently know Olson. Olson hasn't written a book about him, praising him. <laughs> there's there's no, no skin in the game for Donald Trump. So once again, it proves, one, how incredibly corrupt and liberal the media is and what a total fraud Donald Trump is, because this is the kind of fight he should be fighting. And this is the kind of fight it, which if he fought it without regard for himself, I could actually sympathize with him being president. I still have huge problems with it, but I could at least say, OK, you know what? There's something to be gained here. If he's going to fight against political correctness, if he's going to hold the line against cultural insanity and really fight based upon what is true and fight liberal media bias because it's actually inaccurate reporting rather than it's just stuff that's true that he doesn't like said about him. If that was the case, I would go, okay, I don't like this, but maybe I can deal with it. But this to me is the final straw because even in this realm, even in this realm, Trump is a total fraud, and his cult doesn't see it. I love the poorly educated. Even though it could not be more obvious, and of course this, this story will be quickly forgotten like so many others. Meanwhile, the New York Times is reporting that North Korea and Kim Jong-un have been playing with Donald Trump, delaying U.S. action and getting us to be soft on North Korea so they can rebuild their missile systems. Now, do we know this 100% to be true? No, we don't. Very difficult to get, obviously, credible information out of North Korea. But this certainly fits with what we know about the North Korean regime and with the danger of Donald Trump being incredibly vulnerable to being complimented and having his ego stroked and getting love letters from a tyrant, a person he respects because that person is powerful 
doesn't matter that they're a murderer, even murdering members of their own family, that they're a celebrity, and he is envious of the kind of power they have over their country, which he would like to have in this country. I believe the story because I believe it's, uh, it's, it's consistent with what we know about North Korea and it's consistent with the naivete, maybe the purposeful naivete of Donald Trump in this realm. And you know what the most infuriating part about this is? The scenario I see is that we don't reap the, the horrible results of this until after Trump is gone, right? So let, let's just play this scenario out. Trump is super soft on North Korea. They rebuild their missile systems. Trump loses in 2020. Somebody else is president. And then North Korea is willing and able to actually do something in an aggressive fashion towards the United States. In the moronic minds of Trump supporters, that will be the Democrats' fault. Instead, it's actually going to be Donald Trump's fault. I love the poorly educated. But that's the beauty from Trump's perspective. And he knows this, by the way. Trump knows that people's attention spans are incredibly short. They are very bad at interpreting who's to blame for what. I mean, this idea that somehow the president is in charge of the economy when their president is, is absurd to begin with. I, I mean, frankly, I, I truly believe, I truly believe that Franklin Delano Roosevelt has more impact on today's American economy than Donald Trump does. Because Roosevelt did a hell of a lot more, both negative and positive, to create the structure of our economy than Donald Trump has with a couple of executive orders that no one's really paying attention to and a, and a tax cut. I mean, but, but we have this bizarre idea that a president is in charge or responsible for, or gets credit for, or blamed for the economy as he's president. It's just not realistic. But of course, most people aren't students of history, don't understand the way the system actually works. Another uh, issue and in in story in the realm, another one that's gotten totally forgotten in the realm of foreign policy, is how about Donald Trump tweeting a surveillance photo of a destroyed Iranian missile site? How about this? A photo from a classified intelligence briefing that Trump apparently, or someone close to Trump, took a photo of a cell phone photo, and Trump just tweeted it out. Correct. Now, his defense is, as president, he's allowed to do that, which is technically true. He's allowed to release classified information. That does not make it right. Correct. That does not mean it's a smart move. That does not mean he can't be criticized for doing it. Now, why he did it, and it's pretty clear, he did not actually write the tweet because it doesn't fit his profile of writing at all. By the way, there's no misspellings, no grammatical, error, grammatical, grammatical errors, and, uh, and it just doesn't read like it's him. So I don't believe he wrote it. Somebody else within the administration w took a, a very strong hand in doing that. But this is a president who got elected largely because of Hillary Clinton's damn emails allegedly being a national security threat. And here he is by all accounts, allowing the Iranians to know with great specificity what our capabilities are when it comes to surveillance of their missile systems. And yet no one seems to care. We've, we've moved on. We've moved on, uh, and there's so many other things to talk about. I have been discussing in the last several episodes of the podcast 
this theory, and it's purely a theory, it's unproven, it's totally speculative, I have about whether or not Trump could be manipulating the stock market for whatever reason, whether it's helping friends, whether it's helping family members. I don't believe he's stupid enough to do it in a way that would help him directly. But I have finally written a column about this at Mediate, which you can find at our Twitter handle, which is at individual, the number one pod, which I hope you'll check out. It was actually fairly popular, which always makes me nervous. Whenever I write something that's fairly popular, I think, well, wait a minute, I might have missed the mark here because usually what I do is not all that popular because it's the truth. And there's very few, <laughs> there are very few truths that are popular in this day and age because we don't live in an era where anyone cares about the truth. But I digress. I've detailed the case that at the very least, the media should be at least asking questions about this. At least there should be some scrutiny of this issue. At least, hey, can't we just ask the question, what's going on here? Because the tariffs are really the perfect weapon of market manipulation. Everyone knows the markets hate them. So whenever Trump is doing something that's more pro-tariff, the market goes down dramatically. Whenever it looks like he's about to cave, which most people presume he eventually will, with the, the Chinese tariffs, the market goes up dramatically. Now, there are some people in reacting to my column, they think, well, John, Trump isn't this smart. He couldn't have possibly done this. I have a very different opinion of the nature of Trump's intelligence. I believe that Trump is a book moron. Correct. But I believe that in areas of self-survival, uh, self-aggrandizement, and knowing what he can get away with, that Trump is basically a savant. Correct. The best example I can give, although it's not a real-world example, but it's one that people can relate to, is the character Tony Soprano from HBO's Sopranos. Tony Soprano was a genius when it came to reading people, being able to survive bad situations, getting away with a lot of bad stuff. He didn't know anything about the way the world actually works or about the way our government works or didn't know facts and figures. That's Donald Trump. He's a book moron, but in this realm, he's very smart. And there's evidence, which I allude to in my column, that Trump has already done something like this on a much smaller scale with, his own, with, with companies he was threatening to buy in the 1980s. So it's already in his mindset. He got away with it. What he did back then was he used his celebrity to con the media into thinking that he was super rich, which I've talked about many times. He's not. But because he was able to con the media that he was super rich, what he would do is he would threaten in the media to take over a company, a company he had no chance of taking over because he didn't have the money. But in doing that, he would buy the stock of the company, knowing it would go up and then dump it before people realized it was a fraud. Now, he was never uh, officially accused by the SEC, certainly never convicted, but there's a pretty good amount of reporting on this that makes you go, wait a minute. This is, this is the foundation for a guy who might think as president, this is very, very easy to do. And again, all I'm asking for is, can't we at least, based upon what we know about this guy, be a little bit more open-minded about what the possibilities are? Because we're talking about millions and millions, if not billions, of dollars exchanging hands on a daily basis. And the opportunity for taking advantage of this incredible power he has to move the markets is just too much of a temptation. I mean, this is like giving the uh, 
the key to the dressing room of the Victoria's Secret fashion show to a 15-year-old heterosexual teenage boy. Good luck. Good luck uh, asking for self-discipline there. I mean, that's what we're dealing with here. Trump is an obese child in a candy store being left alone, and and we're expecting him to stick on his diet. It's not going to happen with this guy because the only thing holding him back is his own sense of ethics, which he does not have. He does not have. Yeah, you jumped the gun on that one, Ziegler. Correct. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, so check that out when you get a chance. Interestingly, since this is the Individual One podcast, I have to mention that the Judiciary Committee, for some reason, I do not understand this at all, has now, just now, announced that they are instigating in a full investigation of Trump's scheme to pay hush money during the 2016 election to his mistresses. This, of course, is the situation that led, in part, to Michael Cohen going to jail and really the title of this podcast. And for the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. So why in the world they're instigating this investigation now baffles me. Cohen is in prison and publicly has very little credibility because of that. This is an investigation that should have been instigated the moment, the moment that Democrats took over the House of Representatives. I I will forever believe that this is the biggest mistake Democrats made and why it is that I do not currently believe that Donald Trump will be impeached, nevertheless removed. He was never going to be removed from office, barring a a massive catastrophe of circumstances. But I have never believed uh, uh, or I've never believed he would be removed. I did believe at one time he might be impeached and would be impeached, largely because of my good friend, Congressman John Yarmuth, the Democratic head of the Budget Committee, who I convinced to be in favor of impeachment. Had the Judiciary Committee, led by Jerry Nadler, Democrat, had instigated this immediately after taking over the House of Representatives in January of 2019. If that had happened, then I really do believe the situation would be different. Because then Mueller would be adding on to what we already know were impeachable offenses. Instead, they relied on Mueller, and he turned out to be personally a big flop. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. Well... Why they're doing this now, I am completely baffled by. I don't know what this is supposed to do. It might provide some interesting context for people, but it's not going to change the world because it's too late, especially now as we go into the, the heat of the, the Democratic primary season. I mean, we got a debate coming up next week. Uh, in a few months, there's going to be voting. I mean, we're almost full on into the 2020 election cycle, and it's just too late. Uh, a couple other things I want to mention. I have to at, at least reference what's going on with Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, this is, it's odd to me that this has gotten so much publicity. In a way, this is kind of related to the market manipulation story because I think there are, are a series of ways in which Donald Trump has been enriching himself, either directly or indirectly, by being president. And there's a big controversy as we speak that Mike Pence, when he went to Ireland— to on an official visit, decided to stay at Dunebeg, Trump's hotel and golf course on the coast of Ireland. And the reason why this is controversial is, one, it's owned by Trump, and so therefore Trump's benefiting indirectly from this because Pence and the entourage and everybody else is staying there. 
But the weirdest part of that about this is that Dunebag is 150 miles from the meetings where Pence was attending. And initially, Pence's people said that the reason why he stayed at Dunebag was that President Trump himself suggested it. Now, that to me, if true, is a story because now it's not really about taxpayer money going into Trump's coffers because it's a really small amount of money, although theoretically, from a principal standpoint, that should matter, especially since Trump's not nearly as rich as he claims to be. But the bigger issue here is the sycophany involved. What a sycophant the vice president is that he decides that he's going to kiss up to President Trump by staying at his hotel, even though it's 150 miles from his meetings. That means it's at least a two-hour, maybe more, commute each direction, especially if you've ever driven in Ireland, which I have done, and I've been to Dunebeg, if I've, as I've mentioned before. <laughs> By the way, it's nice to stay at Dunebeg. I can understand why Mike Pence would stay at Dunebeg. My now wife, then girlfriend, uh, loved Dunebeg so much because of the pillows that, uh, that they provided, she didn't want to leave. I mean, she was, uh, she was in tears when we got there because of jet lag, and she was almost in tears when we left because she loved it so much. So I get why Mike Pence might want to stay at Dunebeg, but the reality is there's some bigger issues involved here, including the vice president using taxpayer money to kiss up to the president, and now apparently lying about it because they've changed their story. Now they're saying, no, 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 no. The president had nothing to do with it. He never suggested that Mike Pence stay at Dunebeg. He just did it because he wanted to be close to his ancestral home. Well, I'm sorry. That's too much of a coincidence. That's too much of a coincidence. You just happen to stay at the hotel with a boss. And by the way, speaking of Tony Soprano, this is the way so much of this works. There's not a conspiracy. There's no paper trail, especially since Trump doesn't do email. It's understood that you kiss the ring of the king. That's what Pence is doing here. He's kissing the ring of the king. He might even be doing, doing it on his own. It might actually be worse if he did it on his own than if he got the suggestion from Trump and is now lying about it. Under no circumstances is it any good, but that's where we are now in this bizarro world administration. Speaking of bizarro world administrations, I have to at least mention, even though it's not directly related to Trump, it certainly is indirectly, what's going on in Great Britain and Boris Johnson losing control of parliament, the parliament there voting to seize control and may even block a no deal on Brexit. There's chaos going on uh, in the UK because of this. Boris Johnson is a very Trump-like figure. Their elections were somewhat similar. The passing of Brexit was remarkably similar to the election of Donald Trump and may have even included significant Russian influence. There's evidence that Russia is invested in both Boris Johnson and in Donald Trump and that both of them have gone out of their way to do the bidding of Vladimir Putin, although that's never been proven. There has already been retribution against the conservatives who bucked Boris Johnson on this, including against Winston Churchill's own grandson, who has been punished because of this and will likely end up out of parliament in the end of all this. And I mention this not just because there are similarities and connections to the Trump situation, but I really do believe that what we're seeing in a much faster uh, timeline 
is what's going to happen with the, the future of the Republican Party in the United States. The British system is set up as a parliamentary system where things can happen a lot faster, a lot faster. In fact, sometimes overnight. And in some ways, that's what's happened with Johnson. We, our system moves much slower because we only have presidential elections every four years, and it's nearly impossible to remove a president from office, as we're seeing with Donald Trump. It's never happened in, in our history, and only one has ever been forced to resign. And frankly, I'm pretty sure Richard Nixon, is, if, he's, if his spirit is still alive, he's now wondering why the hell he ever resigned when he looks at what Donald Trump has gotten away with. But I digress. I really do believe that we're looking at the very similar situation with the future of the Republican Party. There's going to be an implosion here. Uh, Joe Walsh in our last episode said that if Trump is the nominee, which there's every reason to believe that he will be, it will be a bloodbath for Republicans in 2020. Of course, it all depends on who Trump's opponent is and how the economy is doing uh, about a year from now. We don't know the answer to each of those questions. It's not looking great for the economy. And it's also, though, in the other direction, not looking great, in my opinion, for Joe Biden to be the Democratic nominee. He is still leading in all the national polls, but I continue to believe uh, almost on a daily basis that the, the gate being whole that is widening for Elizabeth Warren to drive through and, and slingshot ahead of Joe Biden once the voting actually begins in Iowa and New Hampshire uh, is formidable. It is large and it is growing. And uh, frankly, I think something has to derail Elizabeth Warren. I think the nomination is almost hers to lose. If she does well in next week's debate and Biden does not, then I think that whether the polls nationally recognize it or not, she will be for sure the formidable favorite to be the nominee. And that is good news for Donald Trump. I have talked extensively about how it is that the Focahontas, Pocahontas issue, as well as her being a very, very liberal senator from Massachusetts, liberal senators from Massachusetts have had a very poor record in national presidential elections, plays right into Donald Trump's hands. That doesn't mean he would necessarily beat her, but she would at least give him a chance. There's a new poll out just today that shows her doing worse, much worse than Joe Biden or almost any other major Democratic candidate. Uh, effectively tied at 45 percent, which is about as well as Trump has done in any recent poll, because normally he can't get above 40, 41 percent against anybody. So while I would still think Warren would be a possible favorite, depending on the economy, Warren puts Trump back in the game. Biden does not allow him into the game. Uh, but Biden is in trouble because he's old. The narrative is being set that he's not reliable. He's making all these gaffes. The gaffes, frankly, are not nearly as bad as Trump's gaffes on an hourly basis. I'll give you an example. You know, Biden is has been defending this war story that he's told uh, that is apparently very inaccurate, uh, which I get. And I, I'm troubling and I don't like it. Uh, Biden has said it, the details are irrelevant, but he's running against a guy who there's video of, and maybe we'll play it in a, in a new episode of the Individual One podcast. Maybe we'll do that on Sunday's episode. Donald Trump, there is video of Donald Trump at numerous rallies in different cities telling the exact same story of a big, strong male in tears backstage thanking him for saving the country. 
in the exact same words. He tells the story at almost every single rally as if it just happened. It's all bullshit. None of it happened. Correct. We know it never happened, one, because he keeps repeating it, and two, because apparently the person refers to him as sir in most versions of the story. Trump has a quirk that when he's making up a story, the person speaking to him refers to Trump as sir. Correct. That's when we know it's a lie. Of course, some people might say we know it's a lie because Trump is speaking. But the reality is there's been research done on this. And when Trump references being called sir, it's almost assuredly a lie. Correct. So the idea that Biden is getting dinged on this is kind of ludicrous, but it's going to have an impact. And uh, I, I am seeing more and more the opportunity for there to be a Warren Trump uh, re- uh, general election battle, which will be good for the media, but not good for the country and would offer the opportunity especially if the economy stayed okay, for Donald Trump to actually win. Uh, That'll do it for uh, this edition of the Individual One podcast. Uh, We end, as always, with the updated percentages on Trump not finishing his first term in office and being reelected. We're going to keep those numbers at 8% chance of not finishing his first term in office, 40% chance of being reelected. Until next time, please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share this show via social media. Follow us on Twitter at individual the number one pod. That's at individual number one pod. My name is John Ziegler. You're listening to the Global Story Network.